This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Finsider Radio, The Jake and Josh Show, is SB Nation's official podcast about your Miami Dolphins. Check out Finsider.com for more Miami Dolphins content and be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with us on Twitter. Jake can be found at jmendel94. Josh can be found at H-O-U-T-Z or just house. The show is made possible by Dolphins everywhere, so be sure to rate and comment, share your thoughts, and let us know how we are doing. Now, let's get on with the show. If you thought last week's loss to the Bucks was rock bottom, boy, do we have a story to tell you. Welcome in, folks, to a dark, gloomy, and if you live in the Northeast, bone-chilling episode of Finsider Radio, The Jake and Josh Show. We have lots to talk about following Miami's devastating 23-20 loss to the lowly Jags across the pond. But before we get into all of that, let me introduce you to the other half of The Jake and Josh Show, Jake Mendel. How's it going today, Jake? Josh, bone chilling. That is how you can describe the weather. That is how you can describe our mood. Oh my God, Josh. I, you, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with, with the rock bottom here. Um, I've never had a day get ruined so quickly because what the Miami Dolphins accomplished, uh, just kind of gashing the entire season here, this what third week of October. I mean, it, it's a pretty miserable place to be in right now. Yeah, it really is, Jake. And we kind of joked about it a few weeks ago. We said, you know, we're looking at this Bucks game, but what happens if they somehow, you know, go across the pond and lose this game? And it, it sucks, but it's exactly what happened. And now we're just left here sitting, you know, wondering what's next, wondering whose head's going to spin, wondering what the next move is for the Miami Dolphins. And it really does feel like rock bottom. So, guys, thank you so much for at least tuning in to listen to this podcast because um, we're going to be we're down and out right now. <laughs> And Josh, one of the things we've always said is, uh, you know, are we sure that Brian Flores has done enough to prove and he's not, you know, Tony Sprout to prove he's not Adam Gates to prove he's not Joe Philbin. And one of the things I just want to get right out of there, I mean, he had his Joe Philbin bingo card filled out yesterday, not only by playing an absolute egg over on the uh, over in London, but additionally, he did the good old fashioned Joe Philbin call a timeout to help your opponent because Josh Right before Jacksonville went for that fourth down play, Miami decided to use a timeout and that gave Trevor Lawrence that offense time to regroup and go for a nine yard completion just over the sticks, uh, just far enough to kick the field goal. And it just kills me because if that isn't, you know, calling a timeout just to put Philip Wheeler back on a tight end, I mean, I don't know what is that was just there wasn't a lot of uh, common sense to be found with that decision. 
There wasn't at all. And I mean, I know a lot of people are trying to blame, you know, the decision for Nick Needham, I think, to touch down the receiver. He gave himself up. I think I heard Urban yeah. Meyer say he was right next to that ref. He said as soon as he goes down, that timeout's coming in. So there's nothing the Dolphins could have done there to stop that. I know a lot of people thought, oh, if you don't touch him right away, you know, the clock runs out. No, Matt Wright had a chance to make that field goal. And again, it was just kind of foreshadowing, I guess. I mean, we sat here, you know, you said it's going to come down to the kickers. I thought maybe Sanders would be the difference maker. And I mean, for lack of a better word, I guess that 58 yarder that he shanked at uh, the end of the half, you know, in a way was the difference maker. But Matt Wright had ice in his veins and just drilled that kick. And at that point, you know, it just felt like someone took a, a cleaver straight to my heart. And I'm, I'm sitting here heartbroken, Jake. And I think that's kind of the biggest issue that we're seeing with the Dolphins right now is because we're going to go through and pinpoint these little spots where if this happened differently, it'd, it'd be the difference in the game. And that's what we saw in 2016, where those little differences went the other way for the Dolphins, you know, the long field goals, uh, a couple breaks in terms of calls. The same thing happened last year, Josh, when they were in all those close games and the Dolphins just seemed to find the right answers. Uh, but I mean, Josh, there is no bigger play that I want to sit here and talk about is when the Dolphins turned the ball over on downs. The drive lasted a minute and 58 seconds, just as the clock's running down three minutes and 40 seconds left in the game, Josh. And I want to read to you Miami's three final plays. Actually, you know what? Oh my God. You know what? I, this is developing for me as I speak. I was going to give you the final three, but Josh, I'm going to give you the final six plays. The Dolphins ran Salvan Ahmed left guard for one yard. Malcolm Brown left guard for three yards. Salvan Ahmed up the middle for four yards Tua a tongue Pass incomplete to Salvan Ahmed. Tua Tungavaloa, the best play I probably am going to mention out of these six, a five-yard completion to Mike Gesicki, and then it is followed by that fourth-and-one decision to let Malcolm Brown run it 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage out of the shotgun and get stuffed, and that was kind of the, the dagger for the Dolphins. And Josh, how does Chris Greer, how does Brian Flores, how does this franchise build a game plan that is centered around 2% of your salary cap, Malcolm Brown, Salvan Ahmed, Miles Gaskin. These guys make up 3% of your entire salary. Tua Tungaveloa is your second highest paid player on the field. That I'm not really trying to show a jab of that the Dolphins overpaid on him, but what I'm saying is you invested in this player. You invested to have a quarterback that can move the football. You did not invest enough to be able to run the ball in fourth and one. You did not invest enough at running back to give them the ball five straight times when you urgent, urgently need to go down and win this football game. Jake, you said a lot there, and I'm trying to figure out which Sorry. way to go with this, because let's be <laughs> honest, I mean, there's so many fingers you can point the blame at. For me, it just, you know, I guess it goes back to play calling. And I, I joked during the game, I tweeted out, I honestly thought there for the end, you know, those plays you just listed, I honestly almost felt like the Dolphins were winning this game. I almost had to, you know, take yep. a second look at the, the, you know, the score and see, oh shit, this game's tied. Why are they playing the way they are? It goes back to just how they've been playing over these last few weeks. They're conservative. You know, it's almost like they're playing not to lose the game. And you're right. When you, um, you know, pass on some of those prolific runs running backs over these last few years when he had a chance to, you know, pay Aaron Jones, who it sounded like he wanted to come to Miami. They chose not to, but um, I saw you going back and forth with our good pal, Rob Proffin. It just sucks because you drafted to a ton of a load to be your franchise quarterback. You know, you think he's that big of a playmaker and, you know, I'm not sitting here pointing the finger at him too. I mean, we can sit here and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about how awesome he looked. He played damn good in this game, but um, to take the ball out of his hands and not even let him, you know, run forward. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that 
you know, irks me is that when you go back to Tua's rookie year, he was very good in those short yard situations. He had a couple fourth and one conversions. I know I joked he was almost like Tom Brady. And then this year, you know, they love doing the stuff with Jacoby Brissett. Why the hell are you in shotgun, you know, running with Malcolm Brown? But it was just head scratching Jake. And it goes back to the Dolphins playing like they didn't want to lose. And that's no way you win football games. And, and this is proof right here. If you're developing a team and your your idea is we're not going to let our quarterback throw it on fourth and one, we want to be a team that's going to get it on the ground, have those no doubters and just keep the rock moving. You do not build the team the Miami Dolphins just built, right? You do not draft Hunter Long to come in and have one reception. Excuse me. He had one target. He didn't even catch the ball. You invest all these different pieces at, for players that just aren't playing and aren't producing. And then you go and have these, uh, you know, Cheap running backs, uh, you know, I, I, again, it's not really a situation where I'm trying to bash Malcolm Brown, but we know what Malcolm Brown is. There is a reason he has is on a one-year deal that's less than $2 million, right? I just don't get why you don't draft a running back. I don't know why you don't draft Najee Harris. I don't know why you don't trade up for uh, uh, Javante Williams. And it makes me wonder, Josh, with that rumor we heard that there were other AFC East um, coaches, GMs excited when the Broncos took Javante Williams, it is starting to look like that maybe that's the truth for the Miami Dolphins and they got so caught off guard and they, you know, flew up there to take Javon Holland, but it's just mind boggling that you're relying on these type of running backs when you have four relatively decent safeties that you're trying to pull in and out of the game instead of just letting two of them get comfortable and be your guys. Go off King. I mean, I, I don't really know what else <laughs> I can add to this. Cause you're right. And you know, Malcolm Brown might not be in the game in those critical situations. If we didn't see, you know, miles Gaskin, I mean, he looked completely off in this game. He's yep. dropping passes, you know, he had that fumble. So he was in the doghouse. So it's very frustrating. You know, when we go back two years to when this whole rebuild started, I guess it would almost be three now, you know, and we looked at the running back unit. I mean, it has not got better and you can look at a bunch of units on this team and say that. And I think that's why we're all sitting here, you know, wondering, you know, what's next for this team. I don't know what's next, Jake. I know we were going to, I said, Maybe we should wait to do this because Flores has a press conference later today. I don't think any heads are going to spin. I don't think there's going to be any of those critical GM firings like some of these fans want. That'll all come in due time. But right now we're just at complete disarray because we're looking through this roster and the same holes are there that were when this entire rebuild started. And Josh, I'm sorry. I got I to gotta keep going on the running backs just a little bit more because we think about well, what happened to Miles Gaskin last week. Miles Gaskin was so great. I mean, he had 10 receptions on 10 targets and – on Sunday, he had two receptions on six targets, and the difference was he was straight up dropping balls. And I think on his two receptions and on a couple of his runs, I think he finished with, uh, what, five carries for nine yards. I mean, he could not break away from a single tackle. All he had to do at times was make a single guy miss. So when you go back to that Bucks game and you see those 10 receptions, Josh, he was having averaging 7.4 yards a reception here. This wasn't someone who was breaking away big plays, and it just kind of goes back to what we were saying uh, till we were blue in the face, and I'm saying it till I'm blue in the face now. Miles Gaskin, he has that floor of consistency. And when that floor bottoms out too, you're even more helpless because the Dolphins don't have that running back who can make a play happen when it isn't there. We saw Tua do that a couple of times, Josh. And let's get into this because I thought this was a little fun. As someone who grew up with Chad Henney, Chad Pennington, uh, Ryan Tannehill, I have to say the instincts Tua has in the pocket. He was not perfect. That interception was horribly gross. But I mean, I've never seen someone be able to kind of scurry around the pocket like that in a Dolphins uniform before. I mean, that was probably my biggest takeaway when watching Tua play. He's really is like a ballerina in the pocket. I mean, that was one of the things you loved about him. Also, another one of those things was his accuracy. And I mean, we saw it pretty prominent in this game. We saw him out there looking like a surgeon, especially on some of those underneath things in the middle of the field. Completed 33 of 47 passes for 329 yards two touchdowns and one interception. So again, you know, statistically he played pretty well, did, you know, enough to 
at least keep the Dolphins in this. But Jake, that interception, I mean, I don't know what he was thinking there. I mean, that made me so sad. And then that play on third and two, I know they ended up converting on fourth and two, but um, I don't know if you remember, Jake, but he was running. When he could have ran for it. Uh, Yeah, I had written down a joke that if he would have taken a Viagra before the game, he probably would have gotten the first (laughs) down. He ends up trying to throw it. I think there's two receivers there. It looked like, you know, Waddle just gave up on the play. So could have been a huge play there. You know, that right there could have been the difference maker. But overall, I think, you know, when you look at this receiving core, again, I'm not going to make excuses. You told me not last time not to. A lot of people on Twitter saying don't make excuses. What he did with this receiving core and the offensive line, you know, that's been a little bit banged up. Uh, I thought he did very well to think that this guy, you know, was just on IR for three weeks, just getting over fractured ribs. I thought what we saw from Tua Tonavalo was very good. And I don't think, you know, you can point the finger at him on this one, but I do understand why people are questioning, you know, why you take the ball out of your playmaker's hands. And if that's how you feel about Tua, you know, that's a bigger issue here. Yeah, and, you know, you have to go down with those first-round picks. I mean, or you could have Noah Igbenogany hiding on the bench for three years until you until that pick we decide is no good. Uh, again, that, that was another player too, Josh, where it was the four was going to be kind of poor to begin with, uh, but then Noah Igbenogany's day got worse uh, by Marvin Jones making some incredible catches. I mean, he wasn't dropping anything where the Dolphins could maybe get off the field on a third down. He was making the plays that were needed. Uh, but Josh, I have to say, I think Tua showed enough where I'm happy dancing with him for the rest of the year. I don't think I want this team making any major move, especially with the people in charge right now in the middle of the season when you're one in five and making the playoffs of that. I mean, that's not even worth talking about, Josh. Uh, but if we're talking in the postseason or offseason about Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, we'll, we'll have those talks then. I will completely agree with you for right now. Um, and this could change that I want Tua to be the guy long term. But at least for right now, I think we can agree and approve that I think he should be the guy for the rest of the year. And I think with him under center, it's at least a little enjoyable compared to watching Chad Henney, you know, play scared and score, you know, 17 to 13 points a game. I mean, despite the fact the Dolphins did only score 20 today. Or even, you know, Jacoby Brissett. I mean, I'd much rather see Tua Tungvalu out there, you know, yeah. taking, yeah. going through some of these growing pains. Because again, I mean, a lot of people want to close the book on him. I think, you know, there's a lot that could still happen there. And again, maybe it all just comes down to Brian Flores making a change with the play calling or this and that. So um, I definitely don't think anybody should be closing the book on Tua. And I definitely don't think you can sit here and uh, point the finger at him. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys! It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever prohibitive. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com.
You know, with Devontae Parker and some of those other playmakers out of the lineup, Jake, it meant that two and some of those other guys in his receiving core needed to step up, and that's exactly what happened. We saw Jalen Waddle catch 10 of 13 targets for 70 yards. He had the two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. But to me, you know, what I saw from Mike Gesicki, again, is just, you know, this dominant performance. I thought PFF, you know, their fantasy tweeted out, the only tight end in football this year to have four catches over 20-plus yards. It was Mike Gesicki in this game. So, again, we see what type of playmaker he is. Caught eight and nine targets for 115 yards. Had no touchdowns, but he was just dominant. And, One you know, kick to the chest of a defender. Don't forget about <laughs> and, that. Yeah, he did that to the Eagles a few years back, and I, you know, put Jorge Masvidal a commentary over it. So maybe I'll do that <laughs> again. So yeah, Mike Isiki, man, he's truly turning into a playmaker, and you know we're one in five. So what you want to see over these next few weeks, if we're not getting those wins is to see a Mike Kosicki elevate into a superstar to see a Tua Tungavaloa prove that he's the quarterback. I mean, those are those little things. So I loved what we saw from Mike Kosicki look like a dominant player. And at some point, you know, we might be starting to talk about him up there in that, you know, top tier of tight ends in the league. Josh. I mean, I have to be honest with you when I heard that Preston Williams was likely to play or questionable still. Um, I dropped Mike Kosicki in fantasy because I wasn't sure how Tua was going to use him. I, did, I thought Preston Williams was going to be the guy, but the second, you know, Preston Williams inactive, Devontae Parker inactive, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard. Uh, and if, when you add in Will Fuller, Josh, you're talking about four or five of the highest paid players on the Miami Dolphins who are out of the game. So the cool part, though, you saw Mike Kosicki's identity in this offense. You saw his ability to break those plays over the middle, and then he is a pain in the ass to tackle when he's just flailing his body parts against members of the secondary. And then you see Jalen Waddle's role and how he is unstoppable in the red zone, and you kind of see the vision there. But then again, Josh, you go back to the six targets for Miles Gaskin, you know, for him to only catch two and stunt drives. It makes you really question what this offense what these decisions were uh in the offseason to really build this football team especially i mean you're losing these guys you know the, the parkers the williams the will fullers suffering with injuries durham smythe is the guy they start targeting he is the he's the tight end they start going towards josh it wasn't it wasn't hunter long the pastor the you know the unicorn they're calling him that can do a bunch of different things they traded up for him in the third round instead it is the pass blocking uh professional the run blocking professional and again he, I thought he played well. He, he absorbed some big hits. It's just like, what are we doing here, Josh? We're spending money on, on things we don't need while we have fires going on in the kitchen. Yeah, Jake, and I think it was the Miami Herald's new beat writer, but he threw out the snap share today, and he actually has Durham Smythe actually out-snap Mike Isicki, 58 snaps to 49. So that's something that you never want to see. Again, it goes back to them maybe trying to run the ball or get extra protection in there, but so I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it, and it just goes back to the coaching. I mean, we can sit here and point the finger at the offensive side of the football, but, I mean, all the fingers need to be pointed right now at Brian Flores. Josh, I mean, where, where do we even go? And this is the major issue because I think the Dolphins are still a talented football team. Somehow I've still listened to three or four national media podcasts. I don't know why or how, uh, but they – mentioned like the three or four worst teams in the NFL, they still don't mention the Dolphins. You know, when they're talking about the Texans or even the Jaguars, they didn't bring up the Dolphins in that category. And I think that's because that is the biggest issue with the Dolphins is the coaching staff not being able to identify where the talent is on this roster. You know, like I said, sticking with the running backs when when they should just see what your quarterback can do. That's what this season's about, especially when you're one and four. Uh, he lost both of his challenges. I mean, we can get into if uh, Josh, if you need a fingernail to win a football game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, I mean, that that in itself is an argument worth having. I think that's kind of where we should settle on that because it could it could go either way, really. It could. And I think you and I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. It looked like it clearly touched his finger, but when they called down right. the field, I mean, you really couldn't overturn it. But if that, like you said, if that's what you're hanging on to, to beat a team that hasn't won in what, 13 months or something crazy like that, I mean, 
that's pretty damn Basically. sad. So I do think that they got that wrong. I do think it was a touchdown, but that, that should not have been what you were hanging on to to, to come away with that victory. Josh, you're 100% right on that. And, and again, like I'd, I'd love for it to happen. I'd love to see Matt Collins celebrating. And I will argue that he, his finger did touch it, but that, that doesn't matter. We're not like you don't, you're no one's job is saved. Like, oh, well, you know, there's that blown penalty in, in week six. And that's why Bill Belichick, uh, we, we fought through that and knew he was still going to be the best coach of all time, right? That, that, that's not how the story works here. Um, and then it, finally, Josh, I think the biggest thing that was the most confusing thing to me is. In that second half, in that fourth quarter, man, the, the Dolphins' defense gave up six points, but I thought it was the best quarter they have ever played in the sense of they looked comfortable. It was that defense where you had six, seven guys running around the line of scrimmage. They were all communicating with each other, and they were all doing it incredibly well. Why this long? You know, this is why you bring in Brian Flores to have a incredible defense. And while the Jets have played one less game than the Dolphins because they're on bye week this week, gosh, I just saw that the Jets – have allowed 56 less points than the Dolphins. I mean, you have a defensive-minded coach here, and there's nothing to be found on defense. I mean, you're supposed to have that forward thinking. thinking you're supposed to be successful on special teams. Uh, the opponents are kicking more field goals than you. So, I mean, it's just where is Brian Flores' strong suit if this defense is just going to show up for at, like a shooting star in the fourth quarter? I really don't know. And it goes back to, I think, what you have written here. You know, I'm not sure Brian Flores does well anymore. I mean, he kind of reminds you of, like we said in previous podcasts, Adam Gase on the sideline. During the game, he's just kind of, you know, hush and just walking back and forth. You don't really see him communicating much. So I don't know what it is. Maybe he needs to take play calling duties back from Josh Boyer. You know, maybe he has to do little things like that to change this thing around. But whatever it is, you know, I think the defense is definitely taking a step back. I mean, we can all say that. And, you know, at least in this game, we kind of expected it with Byron Jones and Xavier Howard being out. But, um, you know, still, when you invest those high draft picks in a, a cornerback and a safety and different things like that, you need him to play better. And, you know, just I guess a lot of this goes back to just Brian Flores being that stubborn minded guy that he comes from Bill Belichick tree, learned under him. And he just has that mentality that, you know, it's my way or the highway. Josh, I don't know if you remember seeing this, but I remember when, uh, Obama left office. They had before and after pictures where he came in uh, and when he left and his hair was gray, he looked like he aged like 50, 60 years. And that's kind of what's happening to Brian Flores. I don't know if it's the stress, of the job or what, but you know, two years ago and, and especially last year, I mean, he was, he was a player on the sidelines, the energy, the fight. I mean, we had the gifts stone cold. Brian Flores is going to go out in the field and punch guys in the face. Despite they're wearing helmets, he's going to eat a bowl of nails with no milk, that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden we just have, poutiness and arms crossed. I, I I don't know what happened if he just became the old bitter man, but I mean, I don't think he can be that and win football teams. I mean, it, it, I guess that's apparent at this point. It is. And I think the, again, the most frustrating thing is just the lack of discipline. I mean, yes, some of the penalties, you know, you could sit here and make excuses for that Javon Holland one, you know, he's playing the ball. I think he got a necessary roughness for the head to head hit, but just overall, I mean, how many times was a drive, you know, they had to go back 10 yards, this or that tip of a hat to two. I mean, he overcame some penalties there. Josh, Tua did have some impressive drives and, you know, he overcame the penalties. He looked that off, it made the offense look a little better than I actually thought it did. Generally speaking, uh, what, what do we have here? We had a false start on Jalen Waddle on the opening drive, false start by Austin Jackson on the opening drive. And then you scroll back down the page, Josh, we're going to go to this, that second drive. All of a sudden, Seathan Carter, he made his first appearance and it was for a penalty that absolutely killed a drive and forced the field goal. I mean, 
three penalties on the first two drives. I mean, that that's so hard to overcome. And, and that's why I agree. I think at least for the year, if we want to have conversations about going from the hopeful good quarterback to the incredibly great, like an Aaron Rodgers, and have him be able to go in somewhere and say that I own you to an entire fan base. I mean, I will have that discussion and that I think is worth uh, another time. But for now, I, I liked how he played and he made that offense look a little fun. And he let Mike Gusecki be that flower growing in the attic where we can kind of smile and root for our big goofy uh, wide receiver who uh, seems to always be open. Yeah, Jake. And I know we uh, talk about pro football focus a lot, but Tua was the Dolphins highest graded offensive player with an 83.9. So yay for Tua. And you're right, man. I just can't wait to the day comes when we do have a quarterback that's going in there, you know, to an away team and saying, I still own you. I mean, to hear him say that was pretty crazy. Um, before we end this podcast, I want to get your thoughts on Noah Igbenogany. I know a lot of people were stoked that he finally got his chance to go out there. I mean, yes, he was posterized a few times, but for the most part, he was in good position. He just didn't get his head turned around. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on him and his performance in that game this past weekend. Josh, I wouldn't say he played great. I wouldn't say he played horribly, but I'd say he played below average. He, you know, he was beat up quite a bit. I think he was confused a few times. I think he missed a handful of tackles, but then he didn't have the opportunities to kind of get the small victories. You know, maybe a pass goes soaring over someone's head or maybe someone drops a pass and you can kind of get that one play to uh, regain your composer a little bit. But Marvin Jones was incredible. That receiving core was incredible with not dropping a single pass. And it just made the day where look even worse where receivers were making really uh you know high level plays over them and it's just you know the things just keep getting worse for the Miami Dolphins and their players I guess the story of our life right but I I agree I think you know (laughs) when he's what 22 years old I mean it was nice to see him at least get out there even if again it was being posterized by Marvin Jones but I mean Marvin Jones is a vet and severely underrated so um, maybe we'll see more of Noah Benogni moving forward I mean I guess that wouldn't be the best thing considering that means Byron Jones and X is probably out of lineup but um, something's got to give because that defense definitely struggled. And, you know, I don't know how you feel, Jake, but maybe we should leave this on a positive note. Maybe, you know, thank them for listening to us and tuning in every week because right now, I mean, one in five, this thing's going down fast. And without them, there really is no us. So, guys, we know we've all been through this long. We know we've been fans with this team for 20, 30-plus years, and it feels like it's just the endless cycle going around and around. But we promise you there will be – I'm not signing that, that promise. I'm not, I'm not signing it. Okay. <laughs> We promise you there will be better days, but uh, Jake's not going to sign that promise. I will. There will be better days um, before I'm soil on the ground, I promise. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back Wednesday to digest this game a little bit. I mean, I'm sure every all the quotes this week are going to be wonderful about how it all starts with me and I got to be a better coach and yada, yada. The same things we've been hearing for 20 years. So looking Bernard, forward to that. Benardrick McKinney just signed with the Giants. Womp, womp, womp. Womp. Heartbroken. There goes our run defense. <laughs> Josh, that's 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 the perfect way to end it. Fins up. Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami has a dolphin, the greatest football team. We take the ball 
from pole to pole like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the...